Father God, Lord, we just thank you for your magnificence, your glory. Lord, that you've chosen to presence yourself with us, your people, tonight. Lord, we're only flesh and blood, and we don't deserve even to know you. But Lord, your grace goes well beyond what we can imagine. We ask tonight, Father, that you would be with us to help us understand your word. And Lord, that you would inspire me as I stand here, Lord. I can't do this myself. No way, Lord. So we're just asking, Father God, that you help. And be here now, in the mighty name of Jesus we ask. Amen. God bless you. This is not what I'm going to preach on, right? But I'm going to comment. I'm actually not. I'm just going to read the Bible, right? It's taken as a comment. Psalm 47, verse 1. Right, you don't have to look at it, it's okay, because I'm not going to be preaching this, but it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Let's start clapping in church. Let's do what the Bible says. Eh? When I used to go to church, it was full of Africans, and they didn't just clap, to move well. And the Bible says do it, so let's, let's get a bit of putting our body into it. You know? We can get a bit Presbyterian, I can as well. Actually, I was standing there clapping and I went, hang on a wee minute, should I be doing this? So I checked the Bible and it was alright. It was okay, even though other people weren't doing it, it was alright by God. So thank the Lord for the word, eh? straightens everything out. So I think the church is in a, a very um, kind of interesting place just now to be fellowship. I've not been here long, so if you don't think what I'm saying is right, you can just discount it, right? But it just seems on the cusp of something different. It seems to be that we're ready to move forward. And that's the Oasis group and the men's meetings as well. And the other things have been going on for a number of years. And it just seems to be a real desire now to, to get out there even more actually into the community. Yeah? Rather than just having them come in or want to reach out even more. Which is fantastic. It's just amazing. It's tremendous. And I'm excited about it. It's just wonderful to see that change and just that things might be moving forward and doing something different. So, as we're at the starting blocks of this new period, I thought I would talk on four key components that we need to build God's tabernacle on earth. Right? Four key components we need to build God's tabernacle on earth. Now, I'm only going to talk in two of them. I was quite strict with myself. I got so far and I thought, oh my God, this will go on forever and ever and ever. So I'm going to do two because I don't want to keep this too long. I think it's important when we're moving forward, when we're looking and looking to the Lord to know what to do, to understand what he's wanting us to do, and just to have the right principles and the right foundation in place. So, first Peter 2.5, if you can turn there, because that tells us what the tabernacle is that we're actually building on earth. Now I have said four key components we need. I didn't say the four key components because there might be other ones and I've not spoken about them. So I just covered myself there. But these are four key components. So if you turn to 1 Peter 2, 5. And it says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that's very simple. That makes it really clear that we're the tabernacle. God is building us up. He's building a tabernacle of living stones, of people. And I want you to keep that in mind. 
Okay, it's a tabernacle of people that God's building. So the first thing I think we need, the first thing I think we need for doing anything for the Lord, or even in life in general, is the right motives. Okay, the right motives. So my question was, can you actually build God's tabernacle? Can you do a work for God with the wrong motives? Is that possible? So let's look at Philippians 1.15. I would say turn your Bibles to 1.15, but I have to navigate to 1.15. So modern people, when we navigate the Bible, we don't turn the page anymore. I like the book too, but I can't read it. The words are too small. I can make the font bigger on this. So first, first sorry, Philippians 1.15. It says here, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good will. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So there's the Apostle Paul, we know he's in prison, and we know he's, he's stuck in the one place and he can write his letters, but he can't really go out. But there he is writing from that position, saying that there was actually people that were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. Now you would think, that's really weird. How can you preach? How can you do something for God out of selfish ambition? Well, that's why your motives have got to be right. Now these people might not have felt that they were preaching out of selfish ambition. They might have actually thought, do you know what? I'm doing the right thing here. I'm a preacher like Paul. But there's Paul pinpointing the fact that they've got the wrong motives. There's a number of ways that we can actually approach this with our own motives. And I want us to explore tonight some of these ways and just to think about our own motives. To really search our hearts. King David says, search my heart, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. Right? And no matter how good we think we are, we need to do that. So, the Apostle Paul mentions that they preach out of contention it says in the, the King James and selfish ambition and we can actually try and do a work of God that we want to do it just so we can be different that we can do it for contention that we can have our own little faction and we can set it up our own way and I've been in churches like that that very much believe that they're the only people on earth that are the right people yeah, and we've maybe seen them, maybe not been in them. I've had the wonderful experience of being there and being one of the only people that was going to heaven. <laughs> that wasn't true, by the way. Just in case you think that's doctrine, it's not right, isn't it? Just me and my mates at the other church, right? But we can get into a position where we start to preach the gospel, we start to build something for God, and we start to do it contentiously. We're not thinking about the right things, we're thinking about an us and them situation. Now, I will say, I don't get that in this church at all. It's not something I've seen, thank the Lord. We're not doing this out of contention. But as individuals, we've got to watch, why am I doing it? Okay? The other thing that Paul says here is doing it out of envy. Now that meant there must have been people that looked at the Apostle Paul and saw his ministry. And he's a man in prison we're talking about, but went, I want to be like him. I want a bigger ministry than Paul. I want the biggest church. I want to be known all over the world. I want to be an apostle. I want to be up there behind the pulpit and everybody come and listen to me. And that's something that the human beings have got to watch. That's pride. That when we're doing something for the Lord, when we're setting out in this work, that we're doing it 
Not because we want to be special. Not because we want to be seen. Because we want people to see Jesus. Right? And it's all the more important if it's successful. Because when things get successful, who's back to you, Pat? Well done, Tony. You've done that really. Look at all the people here. This is fantastic. So as we set out, it's important to remember whose work it is. It's important to remember that we can only sow, as was preached this morning. Another man could reap, but it's the Lord that gives the increase. So as this work gets successful, and I believe the Lord will do something here, and I'm just saying that, we've got to keep our feet in the ground. We've got to keep our own hearts right and not take any of the glory. Now I don't know that here we'll have like a big ministry like a Benny Hanna or whatever, that's thousands of people. We're not about that, but it doesn't take much for the human heart to start going, ah, I've done so well. That Oasis thing that I started, look at all the people that are coming in, it's fantastic. Oh, I'm so glad I thought of that. And you start to take the glory from the Lord. Motivation. And it changes over time. Don't think you start in the one place. Oh, I had the right motivation. I set out and I knew exactly what I was doing. I was doing it for the Lord. That might be true. But the devil comes in. And your motives start to change. You start to feel a wee bit more proud about yourself. Some people build the tabernacle of God just as a job. There are ministers out there that look at being a minister as just another thing to do in life. Right? Now I can't tell who they are because I don't know people's motives. That's between the Lord and people. But there are people like that. And then the Bible says in John 12, it says, But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So Jesus identified that there would be people, really, that weren't actually doing the job for him. They weren't doing the job to look after the sheep. They were doing it as a wee job for themselves. And that meant that their degree of commitment was going to be lower than the degree of commitment that somebody that had a real heart for the sheep. So I started off by saying, you know, what the motive should be. And that starts to reveal the motive. The motive shouldn't be about you. It should be about others. Because the true shepherd, he loves the sheep. He wasn't doing it for himself. He wasn't sitting out there in the dark thinking, oh, this is great, I'm earning 50p an hour or whatever it was back in the day. He's thinking of his sheep. And a real shepherd and the real desire to do this work that we're trying to achieve here is to do it for the people out there. That's the right motive. Yeah. And there's a risk as well. And I was thinking about this other night. I was kind of praying. And then, you know, the ministers come. I thought, how, after 20 years being a minister, do you keep fresh? How do you stop it just becoming a human thing? How do you make sure that your heart's always right with the Lord and always in front of the Lord? And it's not just a, I come in and I know exactly how to do it. I've done it for 20 years. I know how to write a sermon because I've got 3,000 stashed away. I can pull one out. It needs to be fresh. We need to watch as things progress and it never just becomes an institution it never just becomes something that we all come here to do and we all know how to do it and we stop thinking about the Lord we have to keep our motive right it always has to be fresh before the Lord and it always has to be for the others I think the danger is with human beings that we start to look more and more inward and we start to think more about ourselves because we're human we think more about me and we lose that focus. So 
as we move forward, my thought is that, and, I, and it was interesting hearing some of the ladies, and I can't remember who exactly said it, but it was kind of like the oasis. We don't know what's, exactly what's going to happen, but we want to do something. And we want to be open to the Lord. And that's the right attitude. That's the right motive. Because everything that you've planned, everything that you think is right, do you know what the Lord might be going, no, oh, wait a wee minute. So we need to remain open. And we need to not let it get stale, ever. That's an absolutely vital thing. I've been to churches, and I won't name any, but it is still. You can see the minister just gets up, and it's like a robot, and he has to talk for 15 minutes, and then he goes, and, it, and that's it. And the people aren't interested. We'd never want to go down that way. So the right motive is to keep it fresh. The right motive is to remember all the time why we're doing it. When the Lord talks at the Lord's Supper, he says, do it in remembrance of me. And the Bible says, do all things in my name. So when we're doing things, our motive has to be to do it for him, to do it in his name. And to keep him at the forefront and never to get stale. So another thing that can go wrong, and I'm kind of pointing out the things that go wrong so we can see what can, you know, how to do it right. And this, you know, you think these things will never happen to us, but some build the tabernacle of God with a motive to get rich. Now they might not set out that way. Right, but when you start having a congregation of a thousand people and if they're paying tithes that's a lot of money and you can get caught up in the money you can actually see the extra people as a means to earning money the Bible talks about these people and it says they'll make merchandise of you now we don't want that motive we could have picked Bears Den or Newton Mills if we wanted to make money <laughs> right, maybe not Moody's Burn but it's a thing that can easily fall into People can start to get into a ministry and start to see it as just a way of building wealth. And it might even not be personal wealth. It might be, oh, we can start this work here and we can pay for that, we can pay for that. And once the money becomes a focus, you lose the Lord. So we're all sitting here tonight. That doesn't look like it's going to happen here. Who knows what's going to happen down the line? It's just about getting your motives right. It's building a foundation. A nice, strong foundation about what's right and what's wrong. So, once again, that motive is a very me-centred motive. It's about money. Our motive needs to be in the Lord. The other thing we've got to be very careful of is that we don't build God's temple as a way of getting authority and power. Now, this is more likely to happen, I would say. Right? And I'll explain it a wee bit more. Authority and power isn't just about me being able to say, Nathan, hurry up, go and do this and go and do that. Come on, go and get me another glass of water. I don't like this one. I'm in charge here, right? That's not what it's about. Authority is a very subtle thing. And the way it works in a church, and the way it can sneak in, is when somebody decides that they've got a special gift from the Lord, and that God speaks to them in a special way, and then they start to tell people what God wants to tell them. Oh, God's got a word for you. Oh, I was praying last night, and this and that. Or you're all sitting together, and it becomes more and more. Now, that might be right. But the challenge here is, unless that person's 100% right, they're leading you in the wrong direction. Okay? And the other challenge is that when we start to get that situation, if it was Graham, he's a pastor. Now I've seen churches, I've been in that many churches, so I've seen churches where the pastor, everybody goes to the pastor to find out about their life. And they imbue the pastor with power. He might not even want it, but he's got people coming, oh pastor, I'm getting thinking about getting married, you have to tell me what to do, oh pastor, this has happened, that's it, and they want an answer from God but they want him to tell what that answer is we need to watch for that our motive needs to be 
Where do we want to point people when we start this work? The Lord. The Lord always. So if somebody used to come to my old pastor and ask for advice, you know what I would say to them? And it actually hurts sometimes. Because you wanted somebody, you wanted a human being to tell you what you wanted to hear. He'd say, go and pray about it. And I'll pray too. And the Lord will speak to you. Now God wants to speak to us all as individuals. Right? And there is times when God will speak to other people. He sent through a prophet, spoke through prophets, he spoke through his son, he still speaks through his son. But it's important when we're setting out in this work that we're aware of these things. That our motive isn't to make ourselves special, or Graham special, and lift him up, or any of the people that are involved in the ministry, and lift them up. And it's important that when we're starting out in the ministry that we decide we don't want lifted up. I don't want people looking at me. I don't want power. I don't want authority. The amount of mistakes I make for myself, never mind if I spread them <laughs> and gave them to everybody else. The things I've thought I've heard for the Lord and then it didn't happen and it didn't work. So let's be careful. Let's get our motive right. The motive is that we're here to point people to the Lord as their hope and their shelter. No matter how fantastic a gift of knowledge you've got and an amazing gift of prophecy, you should always point to Jesus. Should always be lifting that person towards the Lord. And I think the difference is very much when it comes to maybe situations in people's lives. The Bible says, and I said it last time, if you get involved in other people's lives, it's like picking a dog up by the ears. You've got to be cautious about it. And we're going to have people come in with problems. Right? As soon as you start reaching out, what you're going to get is a church full of people with problems. Because they're, they're not saved. We've got problems, but different for the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah? And they're going to come in and we're going to have a real desire now. We want to help them. You know, if their families are mucked up and there's confusion and there's divorce and there's all sorts of drugs, you want to hit your natural desire in the Lord, you want to help. Be careful about your heart. Be careful about your motive. And just be cautious about what you say to people and how you reach out to help them. So I think we understand that. So you don't want to be the focus, you don't want any authority you don't want to be taking that on and become their leader and that's what's in danger Sandy's a counsellor, it's dangerous a lot of times when people in life look to their counsellor as some kind of leader and that's a, a, just a kind of proven thing we don't want to put ourselves, our motive is always to say over to the Lord I can't help you, I can show you the word and I can pray for you but I don't want involved, I don't, you know, be careful okay so what's you're not taking on authority? What's you're not taking on a position in a person's life of trust that you're not up to holding? Don't trust me, trust the Lord. That's all I'll say. You know, I know that my prayers work. I know the best thing I can do for any human being is to get on my knees and pray for them. And the Lord will deal with the situation. If I don't believe that, I've got no faith. If I don't believe God can intervene and I start taking it on, and I've done the faith for that for God to actually do the work without my magic hands so that's another important thing that motive just being careful that your motive about why you're dealing with people and why you're trying to help them and how you're helping them is right and it's not focused on you another reason that some people build the tabernacle God, another reason that some people enjoy getting involved in the work of the Lord is because it makes them feel good feel good about themselves some people take this on and oh great I can get involved and oh I'm a nice person feel good about myself I'll go home at the end of the day and I've helped so and so and I've helped that one and wasn't that good when I sat through there and etc 
That's their own motive. We know that. It's not, it's not complicated. These things aren't difficult. It's just that we've got to be careful. We're not doing this to get God's favour. We're not doing it because God's going to look and go, you what a lovely man. <laughs> Wasn't that good that he went out and preached? The Lord loves us. The Lord sent his son to die for us. I don't need to do anything now to get his favour. He loves me more and more than I'll ever understand. Like, I love my wee boy. The Lord loves me more. I don't need to set up a big church. I don't need to go out with I don't need anything for his favour. I've got his favour. So our motive here isn't to get God's favour. We're not trying to make God happy. We're not trying to prove ourselves. We're not trying to do something that God will look down and go, Oh, what a fantastic church that is. We're doing it for him. We're doing it because we love him. And we're doing it because we want to reach people. We're doing it for others. So the real motive that we need is one thing. The real motive. The thing that will change it all. The thing that will make sure we don't go astray. And it's something we need to pray for so much. And it's dead simple. It's one word. It's love. If we start out with a motive now of love. That we, we want to show God's love to people. Can't go wrong because love doesn't have any impurity in it, does it? Love's only good. God's love's only pure. So if we start with the motive of love, if we get that right now and we think this is why I'm doing it, why I'm going out preaching, it's because I love people. And see if you don't feel that, pray for it. Now, what I will say is when you start witnessing, you'll feel the presence of God. When you start reaching out, the Holy Ghost will come because that's where God wants you. And you will get his love. It will be supernatural. You'll look at people and you'll see something in them that you need to help. You'll see a person. Like Jesus said, they're sheep, they've gone astray. Now, I'll be honest, I don't walk up and down the street and walk about and go, oh, there's lots of sheep gone astray. And certainly when I'm driving, I don't think of people that are sheep gone astray. I usually think they're all rubbish drivers and get angry at them. But when you start to step out for the Lord, if your motive is love, and that you want to love people, then the Lord will fill that. So I think, as a wee church, that's what we should be praying for. A real revelation of the love of the Lord for the people that we want to reach out to. Because I could chap anybody's door around here, Jehovah's Witness, whatever. I could, you know, I could be a Jehovah's Witness, I'd be a Mormon. How are they going to tell the difference? How are they going to know that you're different and you're different and I'm different? From a Jehovah's Witness. One thing. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That you have love one for another. It's love. The difference that we can show is the love of Christ. Now I know the Jehovah's preach a slightly different gospel from us, right? But essentially it sounds the same to the unbeliever. Jesus died for you and the world's going to be better and whatever, blah, 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 right? You can't divide them. If you're an unbeliever, you can't divide rightfully the word of God because you don't have the spirit of God. You don't understand it. If somebody comes to the door and you're just told something, you don't know what's right and wrong. But if you carry the love of God and the anointing of God with you, that's what's going to make a difference. Fasting, praying, seeking the Lord for this like you've never done before because once you start it, if the Lord starts to work, you'll get sucked up and you'll either... <laughs> Go through it and feel fantastic and it'll be like, I can't cope. You need the word of the Lord. You need the love of God. And we need to be seeking the Lord as a church in a different dimension from maybe we've done before. And I'm including myself in that. You know? 
can trot along and come to church every Sunday or you can reach out to the world and that's what we're going to do and that'll change it it'll make a difference in here so the right motive very very simply is love it's not about me it's about others it's not about what I can get out of it it's not about how I'm going to feel at the end of the day when I've done some witnessing and oh that wasn't that good and I met this one and that one that's great the disciples came back excited Lord Lord we cast out demons Lord we healed this one it's fantastic and what did he say listen listen don't think about all that rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life just remember your salvation don't think about the work oh it's great it's great just keep focused on him keep it simple not what you've done, what you done. So it's not about me, it's about him. And the way that we get to that condition, that we can be really, really useful for the Lord when we're out witnessing, when we're out reaching out, is both to fast and pray, but also to read the word. Because if you want to know your motives, what does the Bible say? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit asunder, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. So if you're going to go out and you're going to do something for God, pick up God's mirror, pick up the word, and read it, Lord, how should I be for this job? Where do I need to change? We can't be the same people we are every day to do this work. I know that, no matter how good a Christian you are, right? Because there's a devil out there, and if you go out half-cocked, it'll no work. So we need to get the motives right, we need to get the foundation right. So that's the first thing we need, we need the right motive. Okay with that? That's good. Okay. The next thing that we need, there is four, but I'm only going to do two, so it won't be much longer. The next thing we need is a God-inspired plan. Right? So, my question here is, can you do something with the right motives but the wrong plan? Okay. So, I want you to imagine. Right? I want you to imagine, especially ladies, because ladies get involved in this here a lot. I want you to imagine you're having lots of people to your house. And you've got a lot of cooking to do. And now ladies think about all these things. When Karen says that, my brain shuts off. I know that I'm going to go to the supermarket and buy things. That's it. That's my job. Right? And it's a nuisance. But Karen gets excited. She gets involved. So imagine you're thinking, right, I'm going to have a lot of people around. It's really important. I'm going to have all my friends around. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of work. And you're thinking about it all when your door knocks. And here's me standing at the door. Say, look, I hear you're having a big party tonight. Can I come in and help? I'm not wanting to come, it's alright, I'm not wanting any of your stuff, but I really feel you've got a huge burden here. And I want to help you. I want to help with whatever you want. So you say, right, aye, okay, tell me when you come. I go into your kitchen, oh, it's a nice kitchen you've got, and you know, the flour and everything everywhere, and everything cooking, and the smells, oh, this is nice. How can I help you? Well, do you know what? I'm making this fantastic cake, it's absolutely beautiful. Everybody loves it, all my relatives come and eat it, and it's wonderful, and everything. And I want you to do that for me, and I'll give you the recipe. Just write it down. All you have to do, Tony, is follow the exact recipe. No bother. I'll do that. All right. Great motive. I've come to help you. I'll, I'll do that. So get your recipe and I'm, you're over here cooking and whatever. Everything's going off. And I'm like, how much sugar? That's bad for people. I'll not do that. Cut some of the sugar down. That many reasons. I don't like reasons. We'll not have them in it. We'll just have a few reasons in it. That's not enough egg. Add another wee egg into it. And you're over here merrily getting on. You alright, Tony? I'm fine. I'm brilliant. Ah, it's great. We're all helping each other. We're all good. We're all happy. We're all smashing. And the cake rises and the party happens. And everybody's eating the cake. And they turn around and say, I 
well, where did you make the new recipe cake from? It's not the same as you used to, do you think? How no? Told them what to do. So I had the right motives. Wanted to help. Did I follow the plan? No, really. No, really. So you can have the right motives, but a completely wrong plan, right? Your own plan that's no God's plan. So it's important that we know when we're doing this that we're following God's plan. The way I think about it is if you've got the right motive and the wrong plan, you ever get a wee puppy and the puppy's always excited, yeah, what the hell, what the hell, what to be with you? And it's singing and then it wheezes on the floor. <laughs> well, that was lovely, but do you know what? <laughs> Didn't he need that bit? We need the right motive and the right plan. We need to follow God's plan. Which is nice to know that the church were open to hearing for the Lord. We're not closed and we must do it this way, we must do it that way. The problem with the churches is, however, 2,000 years of history. If you look at the church really, probably from the Nicene Council, 1,700 years of history. So when they go to do something, they're not only looking at the word, they're going, I've got all this history to follow. I've got all these other things the way we used to do it. We don't need to have that here. We can put it all aside. We've not been here 1,700 years. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody looks old enough to have been like that because you will kill me. Right? But we don't need to think about what happened before and how it was done before. We need to seek the Lord and get His perfect plan. So, definitely, we can have all the right motives but the wrong plan. Can we build God, God's tabernacle without a God-inspired plan? Well, the church has done it for centuries. And I'll use one word to describe what it looks like. Cathedrals. Look at some of the beautiful cathedrals that men have built. You know, York Minster took 252 years to build. Now, I'm sure it's beautiful. I don't want to pay the eight quid to go in and find out. Right? But Bath Cathedral's nice. I've been in there because it's cheaper. I've been to Paisley Cathedral. That's free. <laughs> and I like a cathedral. But do you think that's what God wanted? Thank God when they were building cathedrals was sitting going, bang on plan. What a lovely steeple. Oh, I like your chancery. What a lovely nave you've put together there. These people thought they were building God's kingdom. They genuinely thought they were doing a work of God. Genuinely believed that this is what God wanted. This wonderful big building. People falling off and dying when it was getting built and all the rest of it. And people starving. While it was happening. You can imagine the cost of one of these buildings. If you tried to build it now, it would be hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds. There were people that had the right motive. They thought they were building the kingdom of God. But they had a completely wrong plan. And the reason was, when you look at it, they were building something out of dead stones. They didn't build anything out of living stones. They had big bits of rock and bits of wood. And the Bible says we should build out of what? What are we? Living stones. So it's important that we've got the right plan. The right inspiration. Yeah? And I know we're seeking the Lord for that. So what did the early church do? Right? And I'll not be long. I've only got a wee bit. Acts 2.38. Okay? Now this is absolute, for me, the inception of the church. If you want to look at what God done right at the beginning, before we get a chance to muck it all up, human beings, before we had an Nicene Council, before we had whatever different splits and everything else, everybody else's ideas, this is what it looked at right at the beginning, and this is where we should be looking right now, because we're at the beginning of our thing. Then Peter said to them, Repent! 
absolutely vital. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all that are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, right away baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold their property and possessions. Right, so there you are, there's the beginning, the very start of the church and 3,000 people get added on one day. Now, is that not a good excuse to build a church? <laughs> is that not a good excuse to start going, where are we going to put all these people? We need to think of a building, we need to think of, well, we can't really go to the temple because that's where the Jews are. We need to identify ourselves as Christians, we need to have our own plan, we need to start setting ourselves aside. We need to make it clear who we are and that we're not part of the old thing, we're part of something new. In fact, even better, everybody's selling their possessions. So they're all quite happy to share their money about so this is a perfect opportunity to build a big building. Perfect opportunity. Well, the Jews have got a temple. We don't need that. We'll have our own thing. What did the people do? Where was the focus? It says they sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were building into people's lives. They never even thought of a building. Because it goes on to say, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Only interested in buildings and where we can meet and how we can meet. They were interested in one thing people. They built into people's lives, they gave to those in need. They wouldn't let their brothers starve. They were only thinking we'll build a great edifice for God. They were thinking, I'm going to help that human being. And that's the right motive and that's the right plan is to help one another. And they were a wee bit fanatical because it says in Acts two forty six they met every day. What a bunch of crazy people. Meeting as Christians together every day. Who'd have thought of it? Yeah. And they met together, all of them. Well, what a wonderful thing. And where did they meet? In the temple courts. Where they had church anyway. They just met there and got together. And it also says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now that's more than church. That's family. Once you start eating together, you're family. So when we're having people in here, are we going to do these things? When we see people coming in and seeking the Lord, is this the plan that we're going to use? That we're going to help them financially? That we're going to reach out and see their need? And look, don't worry about it. Here's some food. We're talking about a food bank this morning. We're a food bank. I've got a cupboard full of food. Get a bin full of food that I haven't eaten. We're a food bank. And the Lord's put in us as custodians the means to help the people that we're going to go out there and reach. We don't need a formal thing, we don't need it all set up a specific way, although the apostles did set people aside, seven people, to, to look after the widows. So if it gets too much, ah, you need a bit of structure, you need a bit of organisation, you need a plan in that direction. But the inception of it, the idea of it is that we are God's provision for that community. These hands, all of them, here. So it's really simple. They met daily. 
Now you think of young Christians being out in the world and trying to figure it all out. And like, oh, what do I do? Well, there was support there for them all the time. Oh, you can over support people, can you? That's not what the Bible said. They met every day. And not only did they meet together and talk Bible, come on home for dinner. We'll come round to my house tonight, we'll go round to your house tomorrow night, we'll sit, we'll break bread. We'll share what we've got. What a wonderful, wonderful picture of the Lord and Christ being shared amongst the people. An active demonstration of love. If you want to show love, you've got to do something that people can see. Can't you just talk about it? You've got to physically do something. So as we're moving forward as a church, we need to be prepared to step out of our boundary and step into God's plan. That might mean having a jug- junkie in your house for dinner. Are we going to do that? might mean having a tramp staying the night in your house because we've got nowhere else to do. Are we going to do that? It's not just about asking them to church on a Sunday. It's about sharing your life with them. And I'll talk a wee bit more of this on Sunday as well, but I'll mention it now to you. When you're younger, you've often got relatives that have got a big family. And it's the place you, maybe your auntie's house you love to go, because there's hundreds of people about it. It's always warm and it's always nice and there's always something good cooking. Your auntie loves you and she looks after you and she lets you get away with murder. Or the wings run about together, right? We need to be that family to people. We need to be that place where people don't only come in, they come to church on a Sunday and maybe get their hands shook. We need to be their family. And that's the love of Christ. God didn't build a church, he built a family. And he's here tonight. And it's going to grow, because we're going to go there and try and get some wings. We're going to reproduce by the power of God. We need to learn to act like a family. Start now with one another. And be prepared for the people that the Lord comes along to step out. It's nice to see people on the day, Bill. Even though he slept all the way through the service, which is fine. He must have felt relaxed enough to just be in God's presence and not worried about falling asleep. But we need to be reaching out way beyond what we might think we need to do. The Gospels and Acts, Acts and Deeds. It's not just in word. Paul preached the Gospel in word and also in power. And we need to have that in what we are doing. We need to have the Acts and the Deeds and we need to have power in the Lord. That's his plan. Back to the tabernacle. Moses built the first tabernacle, didn't he? Don't know where we are by the time I've lost it. I'm not even bothered now. I've only got a wee bit. Moses built the first tabernacle. Yeah? He was given the exact plan. Every single detail. If you read it, it's like this long and that long and that number of cherubs and that number of pineapples or whatever it is and badger skins and all the rest of it. And it's quite... Quite detailed to say the least, right? Can you imagine Moses going like that? Oh, right, God. Cheers for the plan, but two cherubs? <sighs> Can we not have one? Why do we need two cherubs beside the mercy, mercy seat? We just have one. And do you know what? Badger skins? I'm not catching all the badgers. That's a pure nightmare. They're dead fast. They run about now. They're out at night. No, oh, no, God. They'll just use a wee bit of blanket. We need to be ready to do what he wants. Exactly what he wants. He's perfect. Well, it's interesting what Master said this morning. Jesus said, My bread is to do the will of my Father. That's taking it completely away from the human need. What I need. I need bread. I need this. And just saying, No, it's to do your will, Lord. That's the right motive. That's the right plan. 
So just in closing, we don't want to build something here that's a human work, that looks fantastic, but isn't pointing to Jesus. We could have the most beautiful thing going on here, and it all looks wonderful, but if it's not pointing people to Jesus, it's not right. We don't want to set up our own religion, because as things grow, then you get into religion. It's easy. Mankind likes religion. We like rules and regulations. When people turn up at church, oh, I don't know about that. How can we? Well, we need. We don't. We need the power of God. The early church didn't have it. We don't need the world's biggest church. Definitely. I'm very convinced that God doesn't want me to build the world's biggest church. <laughs> doesn't matter about numbers. See if we see one soul saved, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner gets saved. So if we spent the rest of our lives out there and one person gets saved, that was the person the Lord wanted. One soul's worth more than heaven and earth. So that's all we need. So we're not looking for massive numbers, we're looking for the Lord's hand to work. So set an expectation. We might not have one of the people, we might have two, we might have so, so the life's transformed, fantastic. And we don't want to talk about our church. The church done this, the church done that, come to our church, our church, our church, our church. Why talk about Jesus? <laughs> I might say to young people come to church and Sunday, come and see our church, we're a lovely church, we'll do this. No. Jesus can change your life. Transform you completely. That's my message. And that's our message as a church. So we quick summary of it all is that we want to focus on his plan, building his tabernacle and at the centre of that is his will and human beings a living tabernacle by his plan so as I said to achieve this in, in finishing we need to pray the Lord searches our hearts and our motives and we need to be ready to Lord take me further there's things that might happen that I don't want to do but Lord I need your strength to do it his grace is sufficient for all of us. It's sufficient for Paul, sufficient for me. We need to pray the Lord shows his perfect will. So in Ephesians 2.30 it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now you might think you've got a plan. <laughs> you might think we're doing all this. It's great and we've thought about it. Because God's work has been prepared already. It's actually waiting there for us. To anybody that thought this is my idea, they can put that in the bin right away. Because these are, it says God prepared in advance for us to do. Is that not even better? We're not doing something that God doesn't know about. God's gone, do you know what, I've got this plan. I'm going to roll it out. A plan for Moody's Burn, a plan for my family in this church. And that's what we need. Lord, show me how to walk in the works that you've prepared. I don't want to miss anything. And you can miss it. We can show you in the Bible. That's another story. But we need to find his perfect will. To demonstrate his love. And for me, because I'm a captive that's been set free, I want to see captives set free. Tokens of grace in the Lord. I want to get a chance to witness. I don't want to see... People coming into a church and just being part of a church and want to see people's lives transformed by the power of God. And we all need that motive. We need to believe that God can do that. We need to believe that God can do it. Whether they're rich, poor, junkies, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everybody needs salvation. And that's what we need to be looking for. If 
Finally, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord. God bless you, saints. We'll just pray and ask the Lord's blessing in his word. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that the church is looking to reach out in new ways. Lord, it may have done so in the past and things have changed, but Lord, we're not looking at what's happened in the past. We're looking at right now and the work that people are hoping to do, Lord, that are expecting to do, and Lord, more importantly, looking for you to do. Father, we ask that you grant us a revelation of your perfect will, because Lord, the human minds don't know that. We can't fathom what you want. We can only think of our own things. We ask for your inspiration, Lord, in your plan. We ask, Father God, that you inspire us so that we, we see exactly what should we, we be doing, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you search our hearts, that our motives might be right. Lord, that we're not doing this for me, so that I can be good, Lord, that I can be special, that people can see me. But Lord, we're doing it for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.